Would you join me in prayer together? Our Heavenly Father, we are before you today with thanksgiving. We come needy before you, longing to be in your presence, wanting to be close to you through the music that we sing and through the words that we say to one another as we interact with your holy word and as we receive holy communion. Oh God, you alone are holy. And so it is with a sense of unworthiness that we bring our broken lives before you and we ask, Lord, that you would fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with power. Fill us, God, with joy. And may we know, Lord, that this too is holy ground that we walk upon. God, we pray today for those who grieve. We pray today, Lord, for those who are in transition for those who are awaiting a new job or perhaps needing a new job. We pray, God, that you will bless each need that is here and that, Lord, that we would know that that you are filling us today with all that you are. Oh, God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we have the forgiveness of sins. And we pray, Lord, that in the light of that sacrifice that we would live lives that are full and passionate and abundant before you. By your resurrection power, may we know, O God, your holiness and practice holiness in our own everyday lives. We thank you so much for the cross and for the resurrection. We thank you for the body of Christ and for the promises and our hope that we have in you. And in all this, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Church, I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm beginning a new series that is being called Holy Ground. And you may have noticed a few of those places that were on the brief video from our trip to the Holy Land last fall. We had a great time together, and during this season of Lent, I'm going to be reflecting on the life of Jesus in that last week, and also helping us to know that even as we experience difficulties here and now, that this ground is as much holy as the land of Israel. And we're looking for a fresh expression and a fresh presence of God as we seek to live lives that are abundant. Today, I want to remind you just a couple of quick things. Uh, Speaking of ground, we finally have our permit for beginning renovations to start the new children's space and 10th Street entrance. Yeah, let's put our hands together. This has been a long time coming, and I'm so grateful for your perseverance as a church, your giving, and helping us to get to this moment. In the bulletin, you should have seen this little map, and this describes the configuration for next week for Sunday school. The biggest change is our children will be moving down to the basement. So everything was normal today, regular, as as much as anything is ever normal around here at Cliff Temple. But next week, we will have a lot of disruption as we have different patterns and as we begin for demolition in many different areas, and we're going to do our best to keep good communication headed to you. So if you look at, you can have this as a, as a paper map, but also clifftemple.org backslash map, and you can find this. Uh, and if you have any questions, of course, you can always ask us as a church staff. So that's the celebration. Then I've got a challenge for you. Uh, we are going to be moving toward the Holy Week, toward a Good Friday celebration of baptism. And I want to encourage you to invite to invest in the lives of others, to share what you have of Jesus Christ with other people as we expect there to be just a great harvest on Good Friday. There'll be other activities during Holy Week, but let me just encourage you, that baptism, mark your calendar, be ready, 
be present for that as we celebrate what God is doing through our fellowship and in our community. Today's message is about passion. Passion is what moves people. Passion is the energy that is underneath all great art, all great music, all great literature, all great architecture. Passion is what drives it. Without great passion, nothing great will ever be accomplished. And without passion, nothing will be sustained. It all returns to passion. Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning and to say, I'm going to do something with my life today. I'm going to make a difference. Without passion, life becomes boring, monotonous, dull, and full of routine. Passion is what drives athletes to break records and preachers to give their very best. Sometimes I think about what was the line from John Wesley who would go out and preach in the villages and in the streets. And he said of his preaching that he would light himself on fire and people would come to watch him burn. He would give it all is what he was saying in passion for the kingdom. You've got to have passion. So I want to ask you today, if you could rate your passion on a scale of one to 10 for life, for purpose, for God's kingdom, how much passion do you have? Do you have just a little bit of passion, just a small flame, or would God see that you are white hot, burning for God? It was said this of Jesus. His disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Jesus lived with passion, and God wants us to live with passion as well. If you have lost your passion or have yet to discover it, I've got good news because passion comes from God. The closer you get to God, the greater your passion will be. The Bible calls it spiritual fervor or zeal, but it is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we would live lives that are full of passion. It is an ever-flowing stream when the Holy Spirit moves through you, and passion is primarily concerned with love. God wants to pour more and more love into you because God is passionate for you. No matter how much passion you have in life, you will never equal the passion that God has for you. Brennan Manning wrote a little book called The Ragamuffin. How many people here have read that little book, The Ragamuffin Gospel? Anybody? I would encourage you, this is a great opportunity to strengthen your faith and to know the love of God. The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And in that little book, he writes about a time in March of 1986 when he had gone to visit an Amish family. And that family, he admired because he knew of their dedication. He knew how they were putting their conviction into practice. He was visiting a man by the name of Jonas Zook. And Jonas was a widower. He was a pig farmer. He was raising three children, one of which was an adult by the name of Elam, who had very severe mental and physical disabilities. Now, Brennan had never met Elam before, but when Brennan drove up in his car and got out the door, Elam was coming out of the barn with the pitchfork. And when he saw Brennan, he threw down the pitchfork, went racing toward him, and with two feet from him, launched himself at Brennan, kissing him wildly. He had his arms wrapped around him, his legs around his waist. He was kissing him for a full 30 seconds. And Brennan didn't know what to do. 
he was shocked by this, and yet he feels like God gave him a grace and that he realized this gift that God had given him of this person who loved him without knowing anything about him. Well, Brennan was there at lunch that day, and as he was having lunch, he turned to speak to someone and accidentally hit Elam in the rib cage and hurt him. But instead of crying out or sort of saying that he was hurt, he just started to wail like a two-year-old. And then Elam did something that Brennan could not expect. He got out of his chair, jumped on Brennan's lap, planted his lips on, Brennan, on Brennan's lips for a full minute. And then he kissed him all over his forehead, his cheeks, his nose. And Brennan was undone. He, he didn't know what to make of this display of affection. But the thing that came to his mind was something that he had heard when he was in New Orleans. Someone who described what it was like to meet Jesus for the first time. To really know Jesus and his love. And he says that in that moment, he didn't describe it as being born again or being saved. But instead, he says that he was seized by the power of a great affection. That is how God loves you. With great affection. The depth of God's love for you is immeasurable. And it can never be separate from you. God gives it to you freely in spite of yourself, no matter what you have done. Just like Elam never had a chance to get to know Brennan before he loved him, God's love comes to you from a source that you have nothing to do with. In Jesus, you've been given a love that is so great. And in a world that is so broken, exploited, lonely and confused, this is the love that can change the world. In a church in America that is so divided by doctrine and worship styles and selfishness, this is the love that God sent to save us. So I want to ask you today to think about the life of Jesus as we look at a few snapshots from his life and the passion that he shows for his people and what he is trying to show us together. So this is the scripture today. It comes to us from Luke chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 41 through 48 if you want to turn in your Bible or you can see up here on the screen. But hear God's word and listen to the passion of God. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So imagine you standing at a distance and seeing Jesus weeping over the city, weeping passionately for the people and then he is at the temple. It says, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So in this scene, we see Jesus on a donkey, and he is doing something prophetic, a humble king coming into the city, and he looks over Jerusalem, and he starts to cry. 
Now the word here for wheat is clio, which is better translated not wheat, but actually to weep loudly and audibly and agonizingly. There's another word for weep in the Bible. Remember when Jesus was weeping for Lazarus, that little scripture, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now that verse, the word for weep there means to cry sort of silently. So imagine Jesus with little tears coming down his eyes. But here over the city, he is weeping and wailing in a loud voice. He knows that there would be no peace. He knows that in 35 years, the Romans were going to lay siege and overrun the city. The people would starve to death. Not one stone would be left on another as a sign of their power. And notice that in knowing this, Jesus looks at the, at the city and he looks over it. And in that moment, he does not say, I told you so. You are getting what you deserve. I, I, I take my hands off of this. There's nothing I can do. No, he is weeping out of love for the people. He is weeping for the city. When we ourselves mess up, there are times in which we could expect the judgment of God, but that judgment never comes to us as cold or stern from someone who does not care. It is from a God who wants the best for you and who wants the best for me. But then Jesus goes to the temple, and now he's not weeping. He is angry. He starts to cast out the sellers, those who are offering sacrifices to the temple courts. And the place where the Gentiles were worshiping, they could not get to. It was overrun with the buying and the selling. The religious leaders had made it a safe place for thieves and for rebels, not the poor and the sick and the lost and the needy. So these two events, you see, the tears of Jesus and the temple, both of these things are connected because they show us the passion that he is feeling in that moment. Now we can see three types of passion in these two events. You can follow along on your sermon notes. First, Jesus has a passion for people. Now he loved everyone that he met. He loved the unlovable. He loved the outcast. He loved the women who followed him and the young men who left everything for him. He loved children and old people. He loved the lost and the least. In Matthew it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' mission was about people. And sometimes we can forget that that's what this is really about. Sometimes churches can be all about budgets and about buildings and about finances. But if, Cliff Temple, if we focus on people, if we focus on people and their real needs, I believe that God will always have a use for our church. He was passionate for people. Second, Jesus showed his passion for purity. He knew the connection between purity and fulfilling one's purpose. All of us face distractions and temptations that can derail our life of purpose, living for him and living the way that God created us to be. And so Jesus goes to the temple and biblical scholars have pointed out that this is actually him playing out a scene from the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament that says this would happen when the Messiah comes. Malachi 3, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple 
The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of the coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. So in this moment, Jesus is purifying the temple. He is calling the people back to the right way. Sometimes we need purifying as well. Now, every week in our home, we do at least a little bit of cleaning. How about you? It's important to clean up every now and again, right? Because we know the house is going to function better and with less stress if it's cleaned up from time to time. You know, people are like that too. In America, if you go without a bath for about a week, you're going to have a hard time fulfilling your purpose. And that's why at Mission Oak Cliff, one thing that we offer are showers for people who are coming in off the streets. We know how important it is to get clean. Your mind has to be clean. There are so many things that we can fill our minds with that ultimately leave us with less than the best. If you filled your mind with negative thoughts and pity parties and doubts and discouragement, there's no way that you can fulfill your purpose. That's why Jesus had a passion for purity. But then Jesus also had a passion for prayer and for worship. He was calling people back to their best selves, zealous to call them to authentic and genuine worship. He said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. This is why some years ago we started a dedicated prayer service at Cliff Temple. It's why we've started 2020 with home prayer gatherings because we know how important it is to pray and to be with one another, lifting up our hearts to God. So Jesus here, he's calling people back. He is calling people to cleaning up their lives. He's calling people who are lost, bringing them back into the kingdom. He's doing all that because he has a passion for people. He wanted people to have life to the full. And church, I want you to know that is true of you as well. He is jealous for you. He is weeping for you. He is willing to turn over the tables to help you to find peace. He's full of passion and power. And God's love and passion ultimately liberates us so that we can live with passion. This is the passion that can fill us when you know that you are loved. When you know every day that you are forgiven, when you know that grace covers no matter what you might go through, when you know that there is a God on the throne who loves you and who cares about your very life, when you know that love is the fundamental structure of the universe, that everything is being made new, that one day evil is going to be finally defeated and death swallowed up in victory, when you know this, you can live with passion. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How many people in this room feel free today? How many people feel free to love, to live with passion, to live out the way that God made you? Because if God has set you free in Jesus Christ, you are free indeed. You were made for passion, by a passionate God. And you are free to love, to make mistakes, to live with adventure, to be who God made you to be. So let me give you three ideas for how to live with passion during the Lenten season. And the first one is this, you can choose danger 
over dullness. Now you might say that sounds dangerous, because it is. It can be. Jesus is not choosing a path here that is easy. He is doing something dangerous in this prophetic act. God calls us sometimes to do the thing that is not comfortable, and following Jesus should be more dangerous than dull. Many people have rejected faith in Christianity because they just don't see the passion. They don't see it in, fo- in Jesus' followers. They don't see the adventure or the possibilities, and so they just think, well, that has no life in it. But dullness is not just a religious issue. It is a cultural issue. Our entire culture has become dull. Dullness is the absence of light in our souls. Just look around. You see people who have lost the sparkle in their eyes, the passion for their marriages, the meaning for their work, the joy of their faith. There is a pervasive dullness that is everywhere in our culture. Mike Iaconelli A youth worker from some years ago once said this. He said, I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with an astonishment which is so captivating that I am considered to be wild and unpredictable and maybe even dangerous. Yes, dangerous, he says, to a dull and boring religion. Mike says, I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, and risk. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing what's going to happen each day, if I'm going to laugh or if I'm going to cry, if I'm going to be called to something new or to do the same things with renewed passion. Jesus cried and turned over the tables all in one day, but we have made him, baby Jesus, meek and mild. We have forgotten that Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What can you do that might seem a bit dangerous for you or for others? Let me give you a few ideas. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. Leave your nets and follow Jesus. Say yes to going overseas. Start seminary courses. Start talking to people that make you uncomfortable. Go on a silent retreat. Hug someone that could give you a disease. Ask God to take away your fear. What can you do that's a little dangerous? Second, to live life with passion you can give God the places that need to be cleansed. That's what Lent is about. It's about cleaning house, returning to God. Your biggest act of courage may be giving up something that is significant to you. Now for Lent, you could give up Netflix or Prime Video for a while. You could form an accountability group to help you give up pornography. Today, let the Spirit come in Right now, what is the Spirit saying? This is what needs to be cleansed. Maybe for some of you, you've avoided feelings of pain by having a glass of wine every night. And all of us have those kind of hurts and hang-ups. We're all struggling. None of us have it all together. Yonkinelli also said this, For as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be a godly person 
And yet, when I look at the yesterdays of my life, what I see mostly is a broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failure. I have had temporary successes and isolated moments of closeness to God, but I long for the continuing presence of Jesus. When you allow God to cleanse those messed up places, God gives you something better. You see, because oftentimes what happens is that we we're asking for more passion, you know, more love for God, but what really needs to happen is the removal of barriers. God is, is willing to pour into us. God is wanting to pour into us, but what really needs to happen is removing those, those things that are keeping God's love from fully coming into our lives. So whatever you do during the Lenten season, make it significant. Make it sacrificial and meaningful, something that you know would help you to be more filled with the presence of God. This past week, I met a church planner down in Mexico City, and his testimony is that he had a terrible upbringing. His father was not absent. His mother was a mess, addicted to drugs. And during my friend's teenage years, he said that he slept with too many people, drank too much alcohol, took too many drugs, and treated too many people badly. But at the age of 18, he accepted Christ, and everything, he says, changed. In fact, this is the way he put it in his own words. I was given the conscience of Jesus. You see, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got to have something better to replace those things that we've been relying on. But that's what God can do. We've got to be willing to give God places that need to be clean. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This is why Jesus died. He was passionate to see you filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was the prayer of the psalmist being fulfilled in Jesus. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You see, you have to be cleansed because otherwise, all those passions that you have, all those things and desires that God gave to you, they can be misappropriated and and misapplied in the wrong directions. You're going to misuse them. You're going to to not use them for godly purposes and waste them. And that's true of so many people, millions of people who have so much passion for life, so much interest and so much that they're investing their lives in, but it's being misused or abused. And it breaks God's heart. That's why in spite of the talent and passion, they're unhappy. Because the farther you get from God, the more bored your life will likely become and the less filled with passion over time. God is passionate for you, all of you. No matter what you've done, God will love you, but God loves you so much that God is not content to keep you the way that you are. So give God part of your life today. When your heart is clean, you'll start to develop a heart for the world. Maybe today just choose one thing Just one thing. Lord, I'm going to give up thinking negative thoughts about people. Lord, I am going to give up judgment of other people that just springs to my mind immediately when I meet them. 
Lord, I'm going to give up harsh reactions. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to fill my mind with, with your words more than the words or the images that aren't life-giving. And finally, church, whatever you do, do it all with passion and love. If you've got a, a job, work that job with all your heart. Even if you struggle to love that job, do it all to the glory of God. Thank God for that job. Not everyone has a job. Love your neighbors with passion. Love your church family with passion. Love your leaders. Love your church staff. Love the, the elderly people in our congregation, the men and women. This is what it says in Romans. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Love people in the church. Can we do that together? Can we love one another? Is anyone listening to me today? Love one another. Maybe not to the degree of Elam, you know, and Brennan, but love one another, care for one another, because when we are together, God's love can come through and the world can be changed. Ask God to help you recover your passion or discover it for the first time. Here's what I want you to know today. God weeps over you. God is willing to turn tables over for you. God is passionate for you. So start asking God to give it to you and keep on asking until you have it. Here's a prayer that you can pray throughout the day. Dear Jesus, more than anything else, I want to know you intimately. I want to live with passion. And I believe that the closer I get to you, the more passion I will have for life. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the passion that Jesus shows in these two scenes. Oh Lord, he weeps over the people. He longs to draw them to himself. He turns over the tables in, in passion for the temple and for the worship and renewal of people in your presence. Oh God, forgive us when we not live with passion. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not every day just come into your presence and sought your face to be transformed that we then might display that passion to the world. Oh God, we thank you for the holy ground that we are on today, for we know that you are here, and we ask that you will bless us. We ask, Lord, that you will move us during this time of communion, and that we would know that we are in your presence. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The last week of Jesus' life is called the Passion because it demonstrates all the way in which his passion and love were moving toward the cross. Today, as we take communion together, we remember that he gave everything for us. That's how much passion he has. His body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. In that ultimate display of love, he was willing to be crucified so that we could be forgiven and have a new life in Christ. The Bible says that we should never take this meal without first examining ourselves. So today I invite you to have a time of silent prayer and to listen to what God is saying before you take the bread and the cup. 
In a few moments, our deacons are going to pass that to you. And I would ask that you would hold the bread and the cup until we take it together. All are welcome to share in this meal. All who are in Christ and all those who are wanting more of the experience of Christ, we welcome you to take this meal with us. But today, may we draw near and remember the passion of God who's given it all for us. Let me pray for the bread and for the cup. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. They represent to us, O God, your passion, your love for us that will never let us go. And so may we experience you today as we take the bread and the cup together. This we pray in Christ's name.